Hello, movie lovers. Welcome home. My name is Amy Henserling, and you are listening to Watch This List Unplugged. Today is very special for me because this is the first time since I started my podcast that I've had a guest on twice in one series. Jetta has been on my show twice total, but she wasn't twice in the same emphasis. So I have Jetta here again for Insomnia Cinema because she wanted to subject me to a movie that she knew I wouldn't watch otherwise, which is very, <laughs> very sly and clever of Jetta um, to do because now I have watched said movie and am forever changed. Uh, so hi, Jetta. Please say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm so delighted that I compelled Amy to watch this totally nuts movie. Oh my gosh. Uh, I hope that your brain has melted, is in the gooeyest mm -hmm. state imaginable, worse than from beyond. What more could I ask? Uh, also, uh, when Jetta and I, before we hit record, uh, she told me that she was so excited about this that she hardly slept, which yes. which goes with the whole insomnia vibe. And we talked about being afraid oh. that the phone would ring. I'm in my office. What can I tell you? Uh, you know, things happen. Yes. So this is this is real. Oh my god! I thought I turned it off. Jetta, I'm gonna keep this in. We're 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 not. Well, you, you have at no all. choice. Yeah. Sorry. I, Unprofessional. I don't no, she she's at work. I am also um, working from home, so we're we're in our natural states here. This mm -hmm. is this is real real world. Absolutely, real world. Watch this list. Okay, so Jetta, before we get into your insane pick, um, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I knew that you would probably not give me one answer, which <laughs> I suspect is the case. So the question is, and you can correct this verbiage if you feel so inclined. What, who is your favorite over the top committed acting performance, which I think that you have described as uh, most, like that, who has done the most acting uh, in the history of your movie watching life? Well, of course, I felt like it would be a cheat to mention Flesh for Frankenstein. So this is everyone else other than Udo Kier, who is the king, the savior, mm -hmm. the ultimate. Uh, nobody beats him. Uh, and I also didn't want to mention Turbulence because we've done that. But right. that's another honorable mention. Ray Liotta. But, mm -hmm. The great. Yeah. I would say in backwards chronological order, because uh, I don't know why I wanted to do that, but that's what I did. Okay. Number five, Harvey Keitel, Bad Lieutenant. Number yes. four, I had to say a Ken Russell movie, and I know you're not going to like this, but Anthony Perkins in Crimes of Passion, he's committed. He's committed. <laughs> Jetta, I would never argue with you there. Okay, fair okay. enough. Three, yeah. Anita Ekberg in Killer Non. Uh, it's about a killer non, you know. Okay. What can you do? It says for itself. Number two, one of my great obsessions, a series of movies, and this is another cheat because it's a trilogy, The Flesh Trilogy by Michael Findlay. The touch of her flesh, the curse of her flesh, the kiss of her flesh. These are movies made in the late 60s for like zero dollars, and he plays an insane serial killer. The greatest, the best. You've never seen anything like it. It's like they're the worst movies ever made, but he's so passionate. And this so. is you saying that. Yeah, well, no, they're objectively I mean, this is... terrible, but 
amazing. Terrible, amazing. Both exist. Mm -hmm. I love them. I I wouldn't even want to force you to watch them because you would hate me forever. Uh, yeah, there's a line <laughs> that we can't cross in our friendship. Okay. Doris Wishman has nothing on these movies, let me just say. <laughs> frightening, frightening prospect. One of the deaths is somebody dies by wearing a poisoned G-string. The poison seeps in. <laughs> Don't ask. Anyway, number Jetta's one. Nuts. Okay, number one. one. Yes. Now, this, I think, is really the template setter. This is like the movie that really informed generations of other movies that came after it. So mm. it's not a bad over the top, but it's like important. Gloria okay. Swanson, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, okay. So we've yeah. got some class in here. Yeah, some class. And honorary mention, Faye Dunaway, Mommy Dearest. I don't oh like the movie that much, but gosh. she's great. So. That movie is <laughs> wild. Like, I have yeah. to say, like, Mommy Dearest is, uh, I saw that as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was for real. Ugh, yeah. And you don't want to watch it like that. No, no. You want the context. You definitely want the historical awareness of what's happening there. I yes. would argue it's not, for me, I don't think it's as great a movie as people always said. But, like, you can't deny Faye Dunaway is doing something weird there. Something amazing. It was a choice. It was a as, choice. As yeah. Swart likes to say. Yeah. He, he said that about... Um, I think you recently reviewed this, uh, Tom Hanks and Elvis. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm going to mention Elvis. I have uh, to remember oh. to do this. Okay. Because that one, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily, would you put, I wouldn't put Tom Hanks' performance in this category because this feels a little bit more sacred than what he did. Well, it's hard to say because, I mean, I haven't even really begun to look back at all the interviews or reviews or anything. I mean, I must have seen them when the movie came out, but I haven't even begun to dug into all that. But I don't know what he was really intending to do versus what happened. And I don't exactly. know. The thing that I want to say, I'm just going to say it now because otherwise I'll forget and I'll just be, I'll go crazy. It'll be right. like the pineal gland was from beyond. I have to say. Yes. I was watching Flesh for Frankenstein thinking, Oh my God! What if Udo Kier played Colonel Tom Parker? Wouldn't you love to hear Udo Kier talk about snowmen for two and a half hours? Oh my God! Oh my gosh! We and missed. Like, we missed it, our chance. You you wouldn't even call it Elvis at that point. No. It would just be it's the it's the Udo show. It's the Udo show. Oh my God! This is also uh, unusual that I so this is the movie that we're covering is Flesh for Frankenstein, which I yes. which I guess everybody would know anyway because if they click on this, it's going to say that right, right. Um, but we came came about it in a kind of unusual way. So Jetta is um. I think probably other than – I don't want to slam my other guests here, but I kind of have to in a way. The Day of Reckoning has arrived. Feel free. Jetta and Bob's Midnight Movies, I think, were the closest to pure definition of what the, it, it really is. And um, I have since learned that I am not a fan <laughs> of the true – Midnight movie, which is not surprising because I kind of went into this endeavor trying to see, you know, challenge myself, Jetta. Which is admirable. I, I think it's fantastic. Mm, right. Um, I, but and now I've come out on the other side. Flesh for Frankenstein really kind of put me there. Um, so, Jetta, set this up, please. I, I knew that I wouldn't even have to take notes because you would have them. Mm -hmm. You would know everything possible about this film. I want you to tell me before you tell us what it's about, how you even came 
to see this in the first place? Like, how did this movie, uh, how did you find it? Well, so I've been a fan of Udo Kier for years because he's popped up in so many things. He's been in Blade, My Own Private Idaho, uh, mm-hmm. any number of German, French, Italian films over the decades. Um, so I've been aware of him for a long time. And I always wanted to see these two films in particular because, I mean, they have a certain association with Andy Warhol, which I'll get into. Paul Morrissey right. would argue that Andy Warhol had nothing to do with it, and he hates Andy Warhol. It's a whole thing. Um, but because of that association and because I think I saw this after I had seen Paul Morrissey's earlier trilogy with Joe D'Alessandro, Flesh, um, Trash and Heat, I wanted to see these other two films. Uh, so it seemed like when it showed at the Quad Cinema in 2019, this was perfect. Like I had to go see it. And it was in 3D, which I have to say is also how I saw it this time. It came with 3D glasses that actually say Blush for Frankenstein on them. I was about so. to say, do you have a pair of 3D glasses? And yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised if you had. Yeah. It, so. The Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray is an anaglyph 3D, so I watched it in 3D. And, oh, my God. It was like my brain was just exploding. Does it actually make a difference, though, truly? Yes, because you get to see ridiculous things in 3D that no one in their right mind would ever want to digitize in that way. Like, a lizard... That lizard that Joe holds out at the camera, yes. <laughs> would that be 3D? It is in this movie. Bats, um, all the organs, you know, everything. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Now set this up for us. Tell us what the, what the heck this movie is about. Because I actually went into this. Okay. So I went into this cold A, mm-hmm. which I try to go into everything as. But then also I texted Jetta at the beginning and I was like, hey, this movie's kind of pleasant. Uh, surprisingly coherent. Uh, it the music was very lovely and right. relaxing. So I thought something terrible must be in store for me <laughs> because this seems very normal at the beginning. Right. And then you texted me in all caps to say, "Why would you make me watch this movie?" So. Yes, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but yes, yes. well, yes, Jada, you're right. Whew. So, um, so what's this about? So this is. According to the trailer's narrator, because, of course, I, I wrote this out, the goriest, sexiest, and wildest Frankenstein ever filmed. That's probably true. Probably true. I mean, mm. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Um, so this no. is yet another version of the Frankenstein story. Mm-hmm. And Paul Morrissey, who directed it... Um, so he'd had this association with Warhol for a few years. He was part of that factory scene. He made various films with that whole entire crew. And mm-hmm. he was given this opportunity by Carlo Ponti, the producer who was married to Sophia Loren, to make these movies mm-hmm. at Cina Cheetah in Rome. And were there scripts? I don't think so. I mean, this was all done really on the fly. And Morrissey just got together a bunch of people who he was interested in because I think he's on record as saying he really doesn't care whether an actor acts. It's more like what they look like, whether he likes working with them, what kind of vibe they bring to the set. So whether or not they spoke English, no difference at all. Uh, Udo Kier, I didn't, I don't think he spoke any English or was barely, like, definitely not fluent. Um, yeah, I think Joe D'Alessandro being the only American in the cast, he was the only one who actually spoke English for sure. Yeah, so, and I know who that guy is. Yes. Oh, I remember, yeah. Yes. So... It was an interesting thing to have all these people brought together for this Frankenstein story, which 
I mean, it's a typical thing of the Baron wants to create a monster, he wants to put the body parts together, he wants to create the perfect man, or in this case, for some reason, the Serbian ideal. I don't know. Um, Fascism. He's mm -hmm. constantly, I don't know how long, how many years this is supposed to take that he's been doing this, but right now, he's got the perfect nose, the perfect nozzle, he's got it all, and of course it goes awry, because of course... You know, how could it possibly go well when he's got his wife, who's also his sister, who is mm. similarly uh, uh, complicated? Unhinged. Yes. And mm -hmm. then there's Joe D'Alessandro, the farmhand who has a Brooklyn accent, because why not? Because everyone has a different accent. Yes. You've got the children who are extraordinarily creepy. Yes. Uh, you know, you've just... And mute. Yes. Um probably the most disturbing thing about them that they observe all these things and just say nothing and you don't know right. why that is are they right. choosing not to talk who knows mm. um mm. well they are the children of a brother and sister so anything goes. Uh, anything yeah it's, it's very like got vibes i kept thinking of the lannisters yes and, and joffrey definitely um and then mm. you've got the nanny who it's a little weird too i mean there's a certain way in which she looks at the children it's a little off putting like i don't know she's That's too right. attentive right. um and then there's the wonderful assistant otto otto my favorite yes. um he's just incredible there are no words um and, and has like red hair oh yeah he's just i mean we're gonna get into that he's amazing um okay. and then you've got the friend I, honestly i did not write down the character names i don't think it matters no, sorry. But... The, the, the the model looking the the guy who's just completely off in the distance in his mind, and yes. never really present. I right. I mean, he he's very Wishman esque in that sense that he just does not emote. Doesn't uh, right. seem to have any. I mean, who knows personality? Was, right. I I want to say I'm going to botch his name terribly. Serjan Zelenovich is his name. And there's something fascinating going on there because he's supposed to, I mean, by mistake, he's going to represent the perfect man. But you could definitely read into it by saying that he's not interested in women. There could be a gay subtext going on there. There's obviously a very close friendship with him and Joe D'Alessandro. So who knows what that's all about? Very fascinating. Also, because all of this is being done by Udo Kier, who is openly gay. So like the idea of him being... Oh. The, you know, mastermind of trying to do this whole heterosexual romance. Him of all people, fascinating. Uh, I mean, it's Jetta, just so you just <laughs> you love it, and I, I that's kind of the the reason. Like as it's going on, I mean, I've now watched enough movies, and those of you who are in Cupcake Cinema Club will know Jetta as a person because we are we are beginning to understand the inner workings of her mind and so when i'm watching this i'm like oh this is so i i know that it's on brand for you when it starts getting weird and this movie does get weird it starts out kind of idyllic reminded me a little bit of the duke of burgundy movie i haven't seen it i've heard good things about it okay that's kind of a dreamy um sort of film the way it begins especially so i thought of that uh in the sort of beginning stages of this thing but then things go awry and uh what what would you say exactly do you think it's the sexual components or the grotesque components that make it midnight movie or what what do you think are the characteristics that actually hone that in to you well most i think it's a film that was designed to have a cult following 
Like, I think Morrissey mm. intended from the very beginning for this to be as, I mean, he knew it was going to be campy and ridiculous. It's not like he fooled himself into thinking this was going to be a great masterwork and that it was supposed to be serious art. He knew that he was doing something absurd. And so right. by design, it's going to have this audience that's going to be totally obsessed with it. It's a very love it or hate it movie, except for my brother, who I, he's on Letterboxd, but he kind of doesn't review, but he's there. He gave it three stars. Oh, but wow. I don't know how, how? that can happen. How can, how? You, how can you only slightly like Flesh for Frankenstein? I don't or, know. Or slightly dislike it. I don't, I, I, I'm going to no. have to ask him. Although, I will say, I have a review, speaking of Letterboxd, I have a re part of a review here that I'm going to quote in a moment. But I'm ready. I have, to, I have to just say, I made a list. It's called, mm -hmm. What Does Flesh for Frankenstein Teach Us? So these are a few things that I think are really helpful for trying to explain the amazingness. Oh, uh-huh. Number five, all accents are good accents because the actors are from so many different places. Doesn't matter. They're all entertaining. German, what is your, American. What's your favorite accent? I'm assuming Udo's, right? Uh, that's or actually a really good question. I never really thought about who has the best because I think they all who have. Who has the best? I love Monique Van Voren. I, I love the way that she, because I don't know how much English she knew either. And so when she... As the Baroness, she has this this haughty air, this dignity, but the way that she says lines, I mean, it could just be phonetic, so I don't really know what the intention there was, but she'll say something, speaking of insomnia, one of the best lines. How I was about dare to say, you wake me up in the middle of the day when you know I have insomnia? Did she know what she was saying? I don't know, but I love it. I want to say she was Dutch, maybe? I didn't look that well, up. And you, and you also have to point out her eyebrows are like they're yes. of Jetta. She, she's got like it's on makeup the list. over. <laughs> okay, I'm getting ahead of it. Okay, so Jedi, yes. go ahead, continue. So all accents are good. It Number doesn't four. matter whether you have eyebrows because Monique Van Voren does not, but Arno Jorging as Otto does, and he arches that one eyebrow amazingly. That, that mm. constant like, hmm? he does it all the mm. time. I love it. Yes. Three, no matter what's in the script, everything is funnier when you say it louder. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. And that's something that I you mean, deeply resonate with. Yes. I mean, everything Udo Kier says, well, no, it's not everything he says, because there are times when he is more subtle and he is a little more, um, you know, he modulates what he's doing, but... Distraught. When mm -hmm. he goes over the top, I mean, he goes so over the top. That's his thing. That's his style. That's what he does. And it is just a blessing. It is, it is an amazing thing to witness because... You can't believe that someone would invest that much energy in this story. I mean, who would do that? But he goes there. And again, and he, he didn't know English. I mean, he was just, I guess, kind of guessing a lot of it. And he's so serious about it. Like, yes. Like, he's, he really, I feel that he thinks that he is doing God's work Absolutely. in this film. Yeah. And, and like, performing a service to humankind. Even when he does things that you're like, You've never seen someone do in a movie. He's like, it's like, it's for science. You know, like there's this sense of like, he really feels selfless about everything. Right. You believe how much he believes in everything he's doing, even when, right. I mean, this is one of the quieter moments, but there's that scene when he's talking about the bordello and he's talking about how he never used to go there. He only went there once and it was horrible. And, you know, why right. would his medical school colleagues ever want to frequent such a horrible place? Those women didn't have anywhere near the class of my sister. 
Ooh. And so <laughs> even oh in that gosh. moment, he's so committed. You really believe what he's saying. So I love it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Number, I think we're up to number two. Two. Just a friendly piece of advice. If you are getting intimate with someone and you somehow manage to pull their entire torso apart and thereby expose all their internal organs, I think you're doing it wrong. Just a, you know. Sound advice. Yes. And number one, say it with me. Okay. One of the greatest lines in the movie, to know death, you have to fuck life in the gallbladder. In the gallbladder. In the gallbladder. And Udo Kier didn't know what a gallbladder was in 1973. He says that on the vinegar syndrome disc. I mean, it's perfect. Well, that, that just highlights the, uh, the sort of notoriety of this film yeah. is that scene where he is doing such a thing. Yes. And you're like, okay, well, I just saw that. And now I can never <laughs> unsee it. And I'm it. sorry. No, I, I actually was, it's kind of in, an entrancing film in a way, because like you said, everybody's so different. Mm -hmm. So there's your sense of place is completely thrown off. Like, you know how mm -hmm. normally in a film, I didn't think about this until I saw it really. Everything is so uniform, so you don't lose your locale. And mm. and and this one, it's like you're so off balance because you don't know where you are. Right, right. I mean, I think you just have to go with it from the moment it starts. You just have to believe in everything that's happening. And mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of it also has to do with that score, that beautiful music, the, the Claudio Gitzi score. It's so... Yeah entrancing it just pulls you in and so no matter what happens in the movie if you're on board from the moment it starts that's it i mean i, I think that's good um I how, do you, how do you feel about the practical effects jetta you have we have to talk about that oh yeah well those are um i think they were all done by carlo rombaldi who had a pretty yes. notable career um so those i think are great i mean they're so bizarre I mean, you could never imagine. I mean, first you have to imagine that when I saw it in the theater in 3D, I mean, the place was in hysterics. Seeing those organs flying toward the screen, I mean, through oh the gosh. grate and through the, the doorway and just, I mean, the entire... Should I spoil what happens? Because everyone knows that Frankenstein is never a good story. It never ends well. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this one I actually don't <laughs> mind. So you've just got... saying something. You've got... Otto, who, poor Otto, he goes after the nanny, Olga, and somehow manages to kill her with his bare hands, like pulling her body apart. I really don't know how that happened because she was an intact human. Um, he kills her, and so she's got her organs like flying through the grate and the floor. And then you've mm -hmm. got Udo, who, I mean, it's, it's hard to even explain without seeing it, but he gets his hand cut off by the doorway. Um, and of course he throws his hand at Joe D'Alessandro, amazing top tier acting, beautiful. Um, you've got the way that Udo dies uh. because he's got that spear that goes through him and his liver is flailing around the place. Another great 3D, you know, effect. Moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's like with all of this happening, I mean, how could you not love it? You, you just, you imagine, I mean, again, like why I wanted to pick this as midnight cinema, even though I didn't actually see it at midnight, I think it was in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. The feeling of being in a theater with people watching this and experiencing every single person loving it and laughing because they just enjoy it so much. 
it's like you, you you can't do better than that i mean that's just perfect and and you you carry sort of that momentum with you now when you rewatch it right like yeah. like that that sort of communal uh adoration c- comes with every rewatch now so you when you're when you see it it's just like oh it's like it's that comforting yeah like i feeling like for just to like think of one scene in particular that always stands out that scene when joe d'alessandro walks into the bedroom and he's naked and you see monique in the mirror and she's looking at him and it's just this incredible erotic moment i remember the audience being totally silent you could have heard a pin drop Oh wow! Everyone was just like enraptured, and it was a great moment because that's one of those moments when you feel the entire room have this same exact um, just amazement. I don't know. And then in that same scene, you have the worst sound mixing in the world because you have the armpit slurping, (laughs) which I mean, you know, if you've never seen that, you've missed out on a a true moment of beauty in cinema history. I think I think AJ had like a review where he was saying that his dog well there's something about his dog was watching the movie too only in the armpit scene <laughs> and he was concerned about his dog and I I I have to say like that particular part along with the gallbladder part is what is the kind of where things just you're in sort of a line and then it goes completely off the rails. And, and it's, it's, I feel like it's sort of that kind of, I don't want to call it courage necessarily, because I don't know if it's brave or what it is, but that Mm -hmm. willingness to, to veer off the, the normal path is, is a signature of midnight cinema for sure. Absolutely. And I actually have a review piece, a piece of a review um, my brother's partner who's also in Letterboxd, he wrote mm-hmm. about Joe D'Alessandro, his entrance made me laugh so much because up until then every character had some sort of European accent, and then here comes the stable boys in New York dialect, it's incredible. And when he gets up to that particular scene, he says, he loves Monique Van Voren, of course, we've talked a lot about that. The two of them share a scene where he is where she is sucking on his armpit and In a movie filled with fucked up shit, it was truly one of the most vile things I have ever seen, thanks to the loud and revolting mouth sounds we hear. So, you know, (laughs) it's it's inescapable. Everybody loves it. You're just really selling this. Yes. Yeah. I think it's fascinating your fascination with these types of things because, I mean, does, does this strike you just because you think like, wow, somebody actually thought to do this? Or what What about it intrigues you so much, exactly? Um, yeah, I mean, it's the remarkable nature of something like this existing. The idea that anyone would think this should be in 3D because that was a major part of the marketing. Um, mm. it's, it's just incredible that this was done with such intention. I mean, usually when you have a movie this ridiculous, it's a total mistake. I mean... You know, right. everything went wrong somehow, but everyone in it seemed to know exactly what they were doing. And this had arguably the biggest budget or one of the biggest budgets of Morrissey's career because he was used to doing these totally low budget New York movies. And yet here he is in China Cheetah with costumes and sets and an interesting score and the cinematography, all of that hair and makeup. So 
he knew that he could do something that looked really beautiful with, you know, a fantastic aesthetic. So the fact that it was done with the intention of being as strange as possible is just endlessly fascinating. I mean, it's not, it's not like some Doris Wishman, you know, combination of uh, strange mistakes. So, you know, that's the thing that really right. gets me. Right. And with Doris, it's a little bit more haphazard. Yeah. Hazard. Like it, it feels a little bit more like things were just sort of th like thrown right. into a blender and you pushed it. And then here's, here's what you get. And, you know, we hope that it's this, I will agree with you that this feels a little bit more intentional. Right. Right. Like, and yeah, I have to it feels say, like it's on purpose. um, I have various other wonderful quotes from the vinegar syndrome disc. For example, um, okay. um, Udo Kier, he met Paul Morrissey on a plane. I think they were both in Germany at the same time in the early 70s. And so oh, that's, wow. that's how he got the uh, you know suggestion to do this movie. And at that point, uh, Udo hadn't really done any major roles. He had done European films, but he hadn't had a breakout. So this was really the thing that launched him. Uh, I mean, well, mm -hmm. he'd had Mark of the Devil, but that wasn't like a big hit for him. It was more like the gore of it. Um, so Arno Jurgen got his role as Otto because his mother went to Andy Warhol to, you know, demand that he do it. Oh, so oh sweet. was this his first film? I don't know. But they also, I think Udo Kier has mentioned this both on this disc and on the old Criterion Collection disc because amazingly Criterion released it in the 90s. I know. I, I looked it up and it was out of print. Yeah. I bought an out of print copy years ago and I'm so mad that they oh, okay. never reissued it because come on no yeah. um but i have to say it's so sad that apparently arno jurgen committed suicide in the 80s oh it's really tragic i just it hurts R. he's R. so P. wonderful and, and he's very good in this and he's also well. really good in blood for dracula because that's a totally different role he's another assistant to udo because there udo is dracula and there arno jurgen is a really um he's a really take charge kind of assistant. He's doing everything for Dracula and Dracula is really like a sad sack. So it's a fascinating turn of, you know. Um, Udo also mentioned that the sex scene with the zombie, with the gallbladder was quote, one of the strongest moments I ever did in my life in a movie. He strongest moments. He loved strangest. doing it. Strongest. Um, and okay. also he, they used real meat. So those were real pieces of meat being used as the organs. So Jetta, yeah, there, oh. the studio lights, he, uh, it was like apparently a ridiculous thing, but he loved doing it because he was so committed. Uh, he also feels he is a lucky man. He has never asked a director. I would like to work with you. He just waits to be given the opportunity. He doesn't mm. want to beg. He wants to feel like he's grateful for what he's doing. So that's kind of nice. Um, yeah. I also watched an interview with Joe D'Alessandro where he described Paul Morrissey as his mentor because D'Alessandro was also involved in that Warhol scene in the mid sixties and into the late sixties, but also kind of hates Morrissey because he always pushed his buttons. So there's a lot of antagonism there. So throughout Frankenstein, they were constantly at odds. Um, also, D'Alessandro didn't want to improvise, so Morrissey wrote all his dialogue, which is important, I feel, because there were so many actors who didn't speak English. So they had to have been speaking right. lines written for them. And apparently D'Alessandro had to like tap them with his toe whenever they had their lines because they didn't know when they were going to talk. I don't know. Uh, also, he loved working with Udo. Can't take nothing away from him. The film wouldn't be what it is without Udo Kier. Uh, yes. Arno Jurgen was fucking awesome. Monique was a, quote, sexy woman. 
even without the eyebrows. Uh, even without the eyebrows. He is, I mean, I guess he's he's pretty aware of his role in history. I mean, he was wearing a Joe D'Alessandro shirt. He was wearing a shirt with his own image on it. So, you know, he's aware of his place in pop culture. And he described himself as what I did anybody can do. Yeah, all you have to do is have a great body, a New York accent, and not give a fuck. Sure. Okay. I mean. Jetta, I I feel <laughs> that that really should be your bio line. That, that sentence well, right there is like, that's a strong, that's a strong statement. That I don't I feel that like strong is. a New York accent, though. Do I? I, I think that I you, I, okay, Jenna, I think that in your ideal, in your mind, that's what, that's what you're aiming for. Like if, if anybody True. tells you, correct me if I'm wrong, but if anybody tells you like, oh, I love your accent, you're like, oh, oh well, we don't have to get into that. Um, the film was quote, just fun to you do. Know. He loved that there were real mm -hmm. sets, costumes, hair and makeup. Quote, we had everything real for the first time. So Joe D'Alessandro liked making it. Udo Kier liked making it. That's great. But then we get into Paul Morrissey. This man, the director. This man is like, I don't know how to describe him. He says that he lost a lot of his memory because this was from 2016 when this interview was done. The others are from 2021. Oh, okay. He claims in this okay. 2016 interview that his memory is damaged from a car accident. But he also says a lot of awful things. And I don't know if he was just a hateful person before then. So uh, I don't know. Because all of my films are very odd. That's good. A film to me is good if I like the people in front of the camera. It doesn't have to be the greatest film. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then he claims that Andy Warhol, quote, never made a film. Does he mean in the 60s? Like, ever? I don't know what he means by that. He didn't even have a brain. He couldn't talk. He is... Morrissey is tremendously insulted by the fact that Andy Warhol's name had to be attached to this film, basically, because right. apparently there was some complicated thing that had to do with making the film in Europe that had to do with Warhol being the producer, even though he wasn't really involved. It doesn't seem like he even really had, maybe he showed up on set at some point, but I don't even know if he put money up because Ponty was involved. Morrissey hates Warhol because he hates the idea that everyone thinks that this is a Warhol movie and in Europe... Morrissey's name wasn't even on the posters or on the prints. <sighs> salty. Oh my God. So angry. He's just salty. Yes. Oh, he As one would be, Jetta, you can kind of empathize with this position. Yeah, but he also hates the world. He also says, quote, the world is a toilet. It's over. <laughs> if you have children today, give them to the toilet. What? <laughs> He's just so, so bitter. Um, yeah. He mentions the fact that Quote, I was a good director because I could tell immediately who was good or bad in front of a camera, and I never put anybody in a part that I later regretted. Okay, mm. good. Uh, he also worked super hard on both Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula at the same time, because when he was shooting Flesh for Frankenstein, he was also writing Blood for Dracula. So during this mm. intense, I think it took three weeks to do Flesh for Frankenstein, and then it must have taken a few more weeks to do Blood for Dracula. He was doing everything all together. So that's commendable. <laughs> but then he gets back to complaining about how the worst things in life mean nothing because life is trash. And that's the point of his movies. All of his movies are about how horrible life is. It's all trash. And he doesn't even <laughs> like Udo Kier because, quote, Udo Kier looks like somebody from outer space. I mean, come on. Come These on. are just gems. Um, gems. And I'll just say, I mean, but I'm not even getting into the whole, like, Lou Reed thing because he hates Lou Reed and he hates the Velvet Underground. And he, oh, my God. Um. But he says, finally, because he's so 
aggravated about the fact that he's the, quote, only person in film history. Well, no, that's not what he said. He, he talks more about the fact that he had his name taken off the film and it's called a Warhol film. He says he is the only person in film history who ever did everything himself. What does that mean? He's implying that he did the photography. He's implying he did the art direction and the editing and every single the thing editing, on this film. The score. He didn't mm -hmm. do that. I mean, he hired people. There are interviews on this on the Vinegar Syndrome disc with the art director, with the assistant director. There were people on the crew. He says that to credit Andy Warhol on the film is a, quote, crime against humanity. So I, I don't know. So, so does the, so the lore of this thing, the background of this thing really gets to you? Like, you just love how outrageous this guy is. I will, I mean, to say love is strong because he seems like a, a kind of terrible person, but. You enjoy these little tidbits. Yes. I'm fascinated. I yeah. mean, even things that aren't mentioned in that disc, because I remember things from the Criterion release, like the fact mm -hmm. that, um, Mr. Zelenovich apparently continually, he, he was constantly propositioning Joe D'Alessandro's wife who was on the set. Ooh, what was going on there? Um, so that was apparently very annoying. Um, also, I think of the amazing line that uh, I can't remember who did the commentary for the Criterion disc, but somebody every time Joe D'Alessandro shows up in the nude, he says, ah, yes, the familiar landscape of Joe D'Alessandro's bonds. So I just I think of all those things. I think of all those little details, the way that people can see the movie, the things that they pay attention to, what they love, what they think is just too weird to contemplate. Um, I don't know. It's incredible. The idea, of course, that in the end, you know, the children end up probably being more disturbed than the parents ever were. So. It's... Yeah, but there are young, impressionable minds that are seeing things that they really should never be subjected to, nor should anyone. Yeah, they're going to. But they're children. They're going to end up being worse mad scientists than their uh, parents slash siblings ever were. So. Yeah. Well, I guess they're not siblings, but, you know, it's, it's so. Uh... Children of siblings. Oh my God. Okay, so Jetta, to to cap this off, mm -hmm. now that you have given us more information than than humanly like that that we even needed to know to appreciate this, but I do appreciate it. I barely scratched how, the surface. Trust me. Oh my God, how midnight is this movie, Jetta? Um, does it need to be seen? Does it need to be seen at midnight? In your humble opinion, I think it. I mean, barring the fact that I first saw it before midnight. Um, right. If you can't see it in a theater at whatever time is available, preferably in 3D, I would say if you're watching at home or with friends or whoever, definitely after midnight. Definitely. Especially yes. if you watch in 3D with the 3D glasses where everything is red and blue and your eyes never totally adjust. So it has this bizarre quality of like you kind of acclimate to the color, but then you turn your head and oh my God, all of a sudden everything's red. So it definitely has that quality of needing to be seen super late. You you really need to just, I mean, it's like it it breaks the scale, I think, for midnight cinema. It breaks the Kinsey scale, maybe even. So it just breaks everything. Do you recommend that people see it in 3D the first time that they ever see it? Um, I mean, I think it would be preferable. I mean, if you need to, well, or who would ever need to see it? But if you want to see it just in 2D, I think that's also fine because you can tell what's supposed to be in 3D and how funny it would be. So, I mean, yes. you can still enjoy the liver flinging at you at the end. Uh, you know, it doesn't need to literally be in the technology. But considering that it's available, I think people should definitely do that. 
I'm going to go with you and say I would probably watch this at like 1 or 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. and then try to go to sleep afterwards if you can. <laughs> uh, but you Impossible. probably won't be able to. Yes. And so, may- so maybe this should be like 3 or 4 a.m. so that you can just get up. Well, that is when I watched it. I watched it at 3.30. So 3.30 to 5, oh. that perfect. I mean, okay. you know. We're going to put it there then. Even though I do think that this is a midnight movie that meets the criteria very, very well, oddly enough, I wouldn't put it at midnight. Well, even though it's a. So, my question, because I don't think I've ever actually haven't asked you this over the past week, what did you actually think of the movie? Did you actually like it? Ooh, Jetta. Love it? Putting me in the Dare hot I seat. say? Uh, it, I would say that. Uh, if it weren't for you, mm-hmm. I would have hated it. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. But since I had the context of this entire experience, which which this kind of wraps it up in a way, um, I had the context of the experience. I have more movies that I can reference in my mind. I do think this is one of the better ones uh, just in terms of its zaniness. And I do I do like the commitment of the actors, especially. And I'm always okay. aware of actors now because of you, uh, supporting or otherwise. It's, I'm just very, very aware of performance. Good. Uh, Good. When I watch movies now. So I didn't hate it, okay. but I would have. If I had seen it like a year ago, I probably would have just turned it off. So I, I have grown, Jetta. Good. Good. I mean, to be fair, it is a gross movie. There's a lot of real disgusting violence. So I wouldn't hold it against anyone for just mm-hmm. being really turned off by all of the guts and blood and just like everything. But I feel like if you come into it with some context, if you have the awareness that you know that it's going to be ridiculous, if someone is there to guide you through it, I guess, I feel like then you can really appreciate the lengths that it goes to. Because I just feel like if you're watching something where Udo Kier has his hand cut off and he flings it at someone as an insult, I mean, I don't know. I think there are no words. There's no way to describe the feeling that that accompanies that, except I, I think it's love. Uh, wow. Yeah. And with that, we're going to end here. Thank you, Jetta, <laughs> for gracing us with your presence once again. I'm honored. This has been a, this has been a wild ride for me, and I'm glad that it ended on Flesh for Frankenstein. We'll see you at the movies. Mm-hmm.